0: We are glad to make all of our JCast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to JCast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org/donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Stender, a JCast Network podcast. For more information about other JCast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. To share your thoughts about this podcast or others, please visit facebook.com slash jcastnetwork. In just a moment, we are going to uh, turn to Megillat Ruth, the book of Ruth, which uh, we read on Shavuot for reasons that I'll explain in a moment. Uh, And you can find the book of Ruth in your prayer books, the page of which I will tell you in a second. Page 418 in your prayer book. So, the book of Ruth, by way of a little bit of introduction, uh, is one of the later books of the Bible, one of the latter books of the Bible. Uh, uh, Scholars debate. Uh, when exactly it was written, but most agree that it was written uh, in the post-exilic period. So sometime after uh, the year uh, 535, uh, when, the, uh, when those uh, Jews who were exiled to Babylonia began returning to uh, Eretz Israel uh, to rebuild the Jewish community in, uh, in, in Judah and in Jerusalem, uh, led by Ezra and Nehemiah. So sometime most likely after that period, even though it is set in a much earlier period, uh, a more ancient period in Jewish history, something uh, uh, nearly a thousand years, maybe uh, maybe, about, maybe a little bit less than that, but 700 years or so uh, before that time. Okay, so it's set uh, in antiquity already in uh, the biblical consciousness, uh, and scholars debate exactly uh, what the motivations are for uh, for writing it and setting it uh, during that time. Uh, One of the things that the book does is it creates an etiology of uh, a lineage for King David, Uh, and so there's obviously some kind of political commentary that the book is making by uh, tracing its uh, ancestry, by tracing the the story uh, to the ancestry of King David. One of the things many people think that the book of Ruth is doing uh, is that it is a polemic uh, against or an argument against Uh, that of uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, the leaders of the Jewish community in the exilic period, uh, who rail against uh, the intermarriage of the returning exiles, the returning Jewish exiles with uh, non-Jewish women. Uh, And uh, this is really, in some cases, the first instance in which there is a very clear and concerted uh, argument against intermarriage in the uh, biblical uh, perspective, uh, and, uh, and it's possible that what Ruth is doing uh, is making an argument against those who are arguing against intermarriage. So in other words, an argument not necessarily for intermarriage, but an argument that says intermarriage is not so bad. Here's a story of somebody of where Jews uh, marry uh, outside of the Jewish people, Mary, a Moabite no less, who, uh, is part of, a, a, a nation of people who are the historical enemies of the Jewish people. And nevertheless, this individual is a righteous woman, a woman filled with with, uh, with, with love and devotion, attaches herself uh, to uh, her mother-in-law, Naomi, attaches herself to the Jewish people, uh, and is so righteous, doesn't convert to Judaism despite the popular conception. Conversion to Judaism didn't exist in biblical times. Conversion to Judaism uh, was... Uh, within, with a certain degree an invention of rabbinic Judaism, uh, but attaches herself nevertheless to the Jewish people uh, and merits uh, in the author's conception to be the, uh, the, the ancestor of no greater a figure than King David. So it's possible that that's the political argument that the author of Ruth is making, uh, but nevertheless, whatever the motivations, constructs a, a, a beautiful pastoral story uh, with, uh, with, with an incredible approximation of the Hebrew of the book of Judges, uh, a much older version of Hebrew. And so it's a very skilled and talented writer of the book of Ruth who constructs this, this, this beautiful uh, story uh, that, uh, that is filled with, with drama, in a sense, but has no villains which is interesting. There's no bad guys or bad girls in the book of Ruth. Um, Everybody is, uh, is a good person. Maybe there are slightly better or slightly worse people in the book of Ruth, but there are no villains. Everybody is a good person just trying to make their way through their life. But one of the things I think that Ruth is, is a story about loss and grief. A story about loss and grief. Why is it a story about loss and grief? That's the whole setting. In the first chapter of Ruth, uh, uh, Naomi has a husband. Naomi is the first character that we're uh, introduced to. She has a husband uh, named Elimelech, and there's a famine in Judah. So they travel to Moab, which is uh modern day Jordan. They travel to Moab uh and uh to to uh to to seek out sustenance during the course of this famine. Uh, They have two sons with them, Machlon and Chilion. And Machlon and Chilion marry two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. Uh, Orpah may sound like a familiar name uh, because uh, uh, one of the most famous women in the world got her name from this book. Uh, But uh, as legend has it, her mother either mispronounced it or was unfamiliar, not sufficiently familiar with the text, so named her Oprah uh, instead. Uh, but anyway, Ruth and Orpah marry Machlon and Chilion, and all of the men die. Elimelech and Machlon and Chilion die. Uh, and uh, Naomi is... Uh, uh, makes family with her daughters-in-law, Ruth and and, uh, and and Orpah, in Moab until such time as it seems like the famine has subsided, and she begins to travel back to, uh, to her hometown of Bethlehem in Judah, in the land of Israel, and tells her daughters-in-law to stay behind in Moab because she can't care for them. Orpah accepts what her mother-in-law has said and travels back to her native country and travels back to Moab to remake her life there, which the story doesn't cast in a negative light. She does what Naomi has asked her to do or instructed her to do. Naomi blesses her and Orpah goes on her way. Ruth, on the other hand, makes a different choice. She attaches herself to Naomi and begs her, in the famous words of the text, Do not urge me to leave you, to turn back, and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. Thus and more may Adonai do to me, if anything but death departs me from, uh, parts me from you. So Naomi attaches herself, Ruth attaches herself to Naomi, pledges her life and her devotion to Naomi, and travels back to Judah with Naomi. The whole setting here is a setting of grief and loss. All three of these women are mourning loss in their own ways. Ruth and Orpah, the loss of their husbands. Naomi, not only the loss of her husband, but also the loss of her children. It's a story about grief and loss, and it's therefore a story about the varying responses that we might have to grief and loss. And I think the story presents, in a sense, two typologies in Ruth and Orpah. Naomi acts out of grief here, and you can see it, it's palpable, you can sense it. In the opening chapter, she gives very vocal expressions of grief. She waves people away. She dismisses them. She wants to be by herself. She doesn't want to burden anybody else. Ruth and Orpah respond to grief in two different ways. And again, the story doesn't necessarily make a moral judgment about either, although it clearly has a preference. It holds up one as a model, as an example of what we might strive to emulate. Orpah turns back and goes home. It's possible that the very meaning of her name, Orpah, refers to the the back of the neck because she's someone who turns away. She goes back. She returns, she reverts to the mean, right? This is what we might call, there's a spectrum in in, in psychology. We all hear a lot in the news about post-traumatic stress syndrome. But there's actually a spectrum of responses to trauma. And loss is, of course, a form of trauma. You might have post-traumatic stress. Maybe Naomi has exhibited some of those instances, of, uh, some of those uh, qualities of post-traumatic stress. Orpa, on the other hand, may be what psychologists call resilience. So you kind of revert back to your old way of being after trauma. You grieve, you mourn the loss, and then you move on. And then you move on. You go about your normal routine and your normal life. But there's another end of the spectrum that psychologists have been studying in recent years called growth, post-traumatic growth, they call it, which is more than just resilience in the face of loss you actually transform for the positive in the face of loss and grief. One of the classic examples of this that uh, they give in, in, uh, in, in texts on the subject uh, is the mother who started Mothers Against Drunk Driving, MAD, whose daughter was killed in a drunk driving accident. A trauma, of course. And instead of wallowing in the grief and Living in the post traumatic stress, instead of simply reverting back to the mean of being resilient and going about her normal life, she did something above and beyond. She directed her whole life toward ensuring that no parent would ever have to encounter the same kind of pain and suffering and grief that she encountered. And so I think that Ruth, in a sense, embodies that end of the spectrum in this story, in response to her own pain, in response to her own loss, in response to her own trauma, she transforms her life. She embraces her mother-in-law, embraces her mother-in-law's people. She, in the words of the rabbinic commentators on the story, embraces chesed, a life of love and kindness a life of selfless devotion she in the moment where she attaches herself to naomi has nothing to gain from it she doesn't know that there is this handsome wealthy gentleman in judah named boaz that she is destined to meet that happens later in the story she goes with naomi because out of love and devotion to naomi she goes out of a desire to help and be a support to naomi she goes to perform an act of love and kindness. Now again, the text doesn't say that what Orpah does is bad or wrong. There is, of course, something beautiful and good about the simple act of resilience in the wake of laws. But it holds up Ruth as an alternate model of growth in the face of loss, of embracing kindness Love and devotion, as a response to loss, of growing in our capacity to love and our capacity to support others in the wake of trauma, and invites us as we read it on the second day of Shavuot, a day in which we commemorate Yizkor, where we recall those who we've loved and those who we've lost in our own lives, to consider the choice that Ruth makes. In the traditional prayers for Yizker, we not only recall the memory of our beloved, we not only hold them in our thoughts, and bring their presence close to us in this space, But we do more than that, we commit ourselves in their memory to tzedakah, to acts of justice and righteousness, of help for others, and gemilut chasadim, deeds of love and kindness. That in the wake of loss, in the shadow of loss, we do more than simply move on we do more than simply go back to living our lives as they once were. We make of our lives, and thus make of their memory, something greater. We lift others up, even as we might feel low. And I think this is also why we read it on Shavuot, Zman Matan Torah Tenu, the time of receiving the Torah. Of course, the pshat of why we read it on Shavuot is just as Ruth makes a choice to embrace Naomi and her people, we on Shavuot commemorate our people's decision to embrace God and the covenant at Mount Sinai. But think about the content of that covenant. Think about the setting of that covenant, of leaving Egypt behind of seeing the devastation and destruction of the ten plagues, of leaving behind the entire life that you once knew, of seeing the Egyptian soldiers and chariots drowning in the Sea of Reeds and washing up on the shore until you finally get to Mount Sinai and make a choice to enter into covenant. The experience at Sinai is also post-trauma. And the model of Sinai is post-traumatic growth. The model of Sinai is in the shadow of loss and of dramatic, traumatic change to embrace a life of tzedek, of justice, of goodness, and of gemilut chasadim acts of love and kindness, the life embodied by our covenant. We read Ruth to see ourselves in her choice, to see our ancestors' choice at Sinai in her choice, to remember those we've loved and lost, and to pledge ourselves to lift up others as a response to that loss. And as we read Ruth and see ourselves in her story, may we merit to choose as she chose and to live as she lived.